0: Welcome to the Birding off Podcast, my name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. This is episode number 60 and today's guest is one of South Africa's best love photographers Richard Flack. Richard tells us all about his love for birds, gives us insight into his photographic journey, gives lots of photography tips and we get to learn more about the man behind the lens. As always the Birding off is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lassa bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Apart. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. We have just launched the Birding Life community group on Facebook. This is a group that we started to get to know our followers better. You can post Southern African bird photos, share stories, and ask advice on the group. The group has grown fast and has been nice and active since it was launched. We asked people on the group to tell us how their birding was over the past weekend, and we are grateful for everyone that took the time to respond. Some of the highlights were Mark Haystack, who's our youth birding podcast host, who saw an abdomen stalk while birding in wilderness in the Western Cape. Well done on that fantastic lifer. Mark Crenier saw a white backed night heron right out in the open on a farm that he stays on just outside of Nelsprate. Pat Nurse, a well-known birder in the birding community, traveled from Nasna to Cape Recife to bird and got to see the Lesser Noddy amongst many other species. Richard McKibben had an action-packed weekend as he got to watch crowned eagles hunting on monkeys. The photo that maybe made a lot of us the most jealous is the photo of the corncrake that James Orton posted. The normally skittish species was seen sitting right in the open for quite some time at Monyoni Private Game Reserve, allowing for some great photos. If you want to join the group and post your photos and stories, either search for the Birding Life community on Facebook or follow the link in the comments section of this podcast. So, let's get into today's episode and hear from Richard. So Richard, it's we finally have you on the podcast. I know we've been talking about this for forever and I'm really glad to finally get to have a chat to you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Adam. Uh, I know long overdue, and uh, really excited to to be here with you this morning. And thanks for the the privilege of having me on your on your podcast.
0: You know, it's been so long. You even moved down from Chao site to Zerena. You're a Sharks boy now.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, my wife has always been a Sharks girl, so I guess that was quite a quite a good move on my part. <laughs> but yeah, we um, nestled in Balgawan, uh, which is yeah, it's just an absolute blessing. We're we loving it down here. And, been a great move for my for my family, so yeah, really tough to have made the move, um, and um, yeah, getting to experience birding in KwaZulu uh, Natal, which has uh, been really exciting.
0: Those half-coloured kingfisher photos you're getting are absolutely fantastic, and it looks like you're getting those right close to where you stay.
1: Yeah, indeed, Adam. Um, uh, yeah, since I arrived, I've been looking for for the half collared kingfishers. And um, for some reason, I think they don't visit us, uh, our particular area, in summer. That they actually just arrived the beginning of, I guess, what's winter now or or autumn here. And so, yeah, I was (laughs) it was a lot of searching, but I was walking with my little boy, and I I suddenly saw this flash of blue and that uh, very um, telltale call. And uh, yeah, I went back the next morning, and I found a a pair of them. So it's been, you know, very exciting. Uh, They're probably my favorite kingfisher so to find a pair that seems to have made uh, this little um, i don't know if it's a river or a stream but it's it's just quiet waters their home yeah has been really fantastic it's been been great to observe them
0: so Richard, one thing that's absolutely frustrating is is I see you go to a place, and what happens is you take these amazing photos, and I go back to that same place, and I don't seem to get the same photo opportunities you get. So I think uh, back about a year ago, I saw you got some amazing photos of a trogon at Glenzer Forest, and I was like, a couple of days later, I went down to the same place, and you, I even you said, oh, I hope you hope you get the photos, and I get there, I did not even get a flippant picture of a. Uh, Like nothing. It was just like I think a couple of pictures of branches and that. What is the secret? How do you how do you get the photos you get? I mean, people go to the same place with the same equipment, yet you come back with fantastic photos. What is the secret?
1: Um, Yeah, Adam, I'm not sure that is a a secret. I think photos are not very good at telling you about all the failures, right? And so I don't think they tell you about the 20 times, you know, that I've been looking for trogan where I failed miserably (laughs) and came back with nothing. So I think you've got to um, bear, you know, just understand that that's probably, you know, a lot of time and persistence that probably um, resulted in that image. But if I had to like encourage fellow photographers around, you know, what could possibly be the secret and, and I love this concept, but it's, it's to fall in love with your, your subject. And uh, I think that's probably for me what, yeah, maybe is part of what makes me able to get the shots that I do is that I just, I love birds, you know, I really do. If I wasn't photographing them, I'd be watching them. And I used to, since I was tiny, just watch and observe birds and I find them fascinating. Uh, And I think I do, I'm intrigued by them. And I think that's such a big part of, of my photography is that, you know, I go to a place with the understanding that I might come back with nothing but I go with excitement just to see what I see and, and get to know birds better and understand their behavior and, and that passion kind of drives me to overcome all the failures uh, and I think you know it's, it's different to going somewhere just to get a great photograph and get like, likes on Instagram that's not really what it's about for me it's 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 about time with these amazing creatures and I, I guess then the result can be a great photograph and, and that's that's the goal that kind of allows you to share your passion or, or what you see and what you experience with others and drives awareness for those birds. But I, I think that's probably um, something for people to consider is is what's what's driving them to get there in the first place because I find I don't really get great success if I'm hell-bent on just getting a great image. You know, there's a, probably a lot more behind that.
0: I had one of my friends who saw you at one of the sites up in johannesburg or somewhere around ghateng and there was a bird that came and everyone was twitching the bird and he said one difference he noticed with yourself compared to other people is people would arrive see the bird take a couple of photos try and get this great photo and whatever amount of time later they would leave and he said you know he was there for a while and he said while these people were coming and going you were just you just stayed. And I think that tenacity and that determination to get that to get that great photo is something that a lot of people don't have. It's almost like we we see the bird and we don't maybe fully appreciate it. We 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 get the couple of photos, a couple of record shots and we think they're great photos. But I think maybe the difference between that good photo and that great photo is just the time you spend with the bird.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's linked to to why you're there, right? And um, yeah, I think just spending time with birds, you learn to anticipate their behavior and you get to yeah just appreciate different things about them and i think that's a lot that drives was the reason for for me getting into photography as i was a birder, and and it was a way of capturing the moments and the things i observed and, and i guess that's made me i'm not sure if it's really like patience right it's like I, I would do it anyway so it, it does kind of look like persistence but it's you know, i guess just out of love for the subject right and, and what i do but it definitely makes a difference i think if you you know, just knowing how long it takes to get particular photographs and photographs that I guess are unique or different, or, or yeah, you know, it means a lot of time with that subject and changing angles and looking at it from different perspectives. So, yeah, it does mean a lot of time. Um, so, you know, if you rush in, you might get really lucky. But I think it is the, you know, just the assessment of light, of conditions, you know, et cetera, that, that allows you to eventually get a shot that you're happy with.
0: Yeah, so Yandre Versteyer was one of the guys who sent a question through and he asked the question, do you ever go out and just bird? I
1: have um, two approaches. I sometimes um, do a bit of planning. Uh, So I have some projects that I kind of set myself specific goals. And then I'm probably, I'm birding, but I'm not, uh, I have like a focused subject that that I'm specifically after. Uh, But yeah, I mean, to answer this question, I I definitely just go out and bird. Uh, I have a lot of days that I'm just very opportunistic. Uh, but I think, you know, probably the difference there is is, is the same as once I found a, a bird that I'm looking for, or, or just opportunistically find a species that that excites me or, or, or that's in a good environment, then I just spend a lot of time with them, Adam. So I, I think my birding gets a lot more sidetracked than it used to. I think in the past, I, I was a birder, so I was looking for new birds and I was looking for seeing more birds in a day. And I think I'm really calmed down over time and I do just go out and bird, but I, I probably get lost in a subject and lose, a, you know, a few hours here and there. So my my lists are not quite as big as others when I go out birding now. I think, I think they're you know, a lot lower just by virtue of that. And I think, yeah, I think that's also been good. I just I appreciate the moments, no matter what the bird is. And I just, you know, I get to enjoy the time with them and then try and get a good photograph while doing it.
0: So I was saying before the interview that most people know you just as a photographer. But in an interview for Retail Retail Brief Africa, you said this about yourself. I'm a passionate husband and dad. My faith and family are a top priority in my life. So Richard, tell us about who you are and what drives you when you're not behind the lens. Uh,
1: Sure. I mean, I think that's probably a good summary. Uh, At the center of me is my faith, uh, followed closely by my family. I have an amazing wife. Her name is Eileen. And um, she's my rock. I think life wouldn't be, yeah, it just wouldn't be the same without her. And uh, we've been blessed with a a little boy called Joshua. He's six years old. And um, I think I am largely in his eyes seen as his wrestling partner. So (laughs) when he gets back from school and I finish work, I end up chasing him around the house. It's a bit of macho Libra in the flat household. (laughs) And he doesn't like me kissing him. So I I can't pin him down and kiss him. and he, He tells me my beard scratches him. So they really are the yeah you know, they're just the, the center of, of of my life and I love them to bits and I try and yeah you know, I try and make time for them uh, between business and, and I guess birding and, and that's I guess the other two aspects the two Bs <laughs> the business and the birding uh, and I, I think you'd have to flip a coin to say which one's more important to me uh, I think I'm passionate about yeah you know, those two two areas for different reasons uh, from a business perspective I uh, got into business straight out of university. I was, yeah, I read books by Semler called Maverick and Seven Day Weekend. And I think I, I've just always been a bit of a dreamer and I've always wanted to make a difference in people's lives and I've wanted to make a difference in society. And so that's really driven my, my business career. I've joined companies that I, that I feel I can dream with and that we can do something and leave a mark in society. So that's really been, yeah you know, the big focus from business. And, and I've been really lucky. I, I, I'm, I run a fintech company, in South Africa, it's part of a, a bigger group, and, and we recently, you know, brought on the, the World Bank uh, through the IFC. They've invested in us, and they invest in impact businesses, you know, businesses that are making an impact in South Africa and Africa. And so, yeah, it's still it's still a very exciting uh, part of my life. And then, yeah, you know, birding very different. I think birding is the the tonic <laughs> of my soul. It allows me to, to kind of fill my tank. I'm an introvert. So uh, as much as my um, business is a lot about people and I love people and I enjoy encouraging and motivating and the likes, but I don't get energy from it. And I think, yeah, I think birding's always been that for me. And, and now bird photography is just my ability to, yeah, fill the tank and get back to me being me. Uh, and I think that was, yeah you know, a long time ago, I was kind of led to Psalm 23, where it's, you know, it talks about still waters and green pastures. And I think that's what burning has been for me is, is, is that outlet. And it allows me to, I guess, be more balanced than if I was just completely absorbed by, by work or, or, or work and family.
0: Yeah, because we were saying this before we went on, you know, Richard, one thing about yourself, if people were to go and Google and try and find interviews with you and find out a bit about you, besides that Retail Brief Africa interview you did, there's almost nothing about you. It's just about your your bird photography and it's almost like you, you've you kept that part of your life to yourself. And it's interesting, you know, only lately you've started to come out and do a few more interviews and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm, yeah, I'm a bit private, I guess. And yeah, it's... Just different seasons for different things, I think, Adam. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess I separate the two quite purposefully. As, as I say, you know, the, the business side of me, it's, uh, it's um, yeah, it's a big focus and a big drive. Uh, and then birding just very different, you know. And I think birding, you know, it gets more publicity because it's out there in social media uh, versus the few interviews or questionnaires or things that I've done from a business perspective. Yeah, I've appeared in magazines and elsewhere, so it's quite I'm not quite as public. Uh, we in people's faces, but yeah, like equally important part of my life, I guess.
0: And then how do you find the balance between family, business and photography?
1: Yeah, uh, I guess it's, 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 um, yeah, there's different seasons and I think balance, I, I'm still trying to get balance right. I, I think it's a, it's a very difficult thing to master Adam, and, you know, if anyone else is struggling with that. I, I think what I've realized is it requires a lot of structure, a lot of discipline And and I guess a a degree of sacrifice if you want to balance, you know, those things. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess what not many people know about me other than my wife and Josh is that I wake up really early, you know, wake up 4.35, I have quiet time, Uh, then my little boy bursts out of his bedroom and we spend only about an hour together as we have breakfast and he gets ready for school. And then, you know, I try and get some some activity in, whether it's a, a nature walk and that's a Part of the reason for the move to Valgaon is I get to walk out my door and, and really am in nature. And so I'll do a nature work or some photography or whatever I have time for. And then, you know, work starts. And I, I guess I've just become very, you know, to drive balance, I've become very structured and disciplined and, and I guess optimize my time at work. Uh, and then I, I do my best to shut things down before 5.30 so I can spend another hour and a half with my, my little boy and Eileen. And then, uh, yeah, we have if I've got unfinished stuff, I'll do it in the evening. And then, yeah, I try and get to sleep early. So, I mean, one of the sacrifices is I just don't go out during the week. I feel it just upsets my balance. So there are things you need to realize you can't do everything, you know, and you can't be everything to everyone. So you've got to kind of, you know, create your own boundaries and and then create the structure that's going to allow you to give time to the things that are really important to you. And uh, I guess that's been, you know, my business career has been but. um straight line it's it's definitely taken a lot of risks and 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 thrown myself into the deep end so it's been an endless sort of journey to kind of get better at managing stress and and managing and balancing you know the people that are important in my life and the passions that I have and yeah I mean I used to do for example I used to do five different sports you know indoor cricket outdoor cricket I even did basketball for a while and you just realize you got to give some things up if you want to you know focus on the things that are really important so yeah
0: talk us through your journey as a photographer and what are some factors that you think have shaped the style of photography that you have today
1: yeah adam i think you know obviously you get different types of photographers and i think you know quite a few of the bird photographers i see out there you know come from a very photographic background you know wedding photographers or professional photographers that love nature and love birding and get into bird photography and I think, you know, my journey is definitely very different to that. It started with birding. You know, I guess the desire to capture those moments in birding, that, you know, that amaze you. And, and I borrowed my wife was actually, she's actually the, the first photographer in the family. She does a lot of landscapes and portraits. She's, she's, had, she's calmed that down, I think, with Joshua's arrival and um, encouraging her to get back into it. She also loves macro so I love finding bugs, and I'm hoping that she'll take photos of them at some point. Uh, but yeah, I borrowed her camera, uh, and uh, I tried to get record shots. But I soon realized, you know, she had a, I think it was a 14 to 55 millimeter lens. That wasn't going to really help me, as I think my eyes were better than many of the, the photographs I took. And so I, I soon realized I needed to get a, a, you know, a bigger lens. And um, I bought the 100 to 400, the, 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 I think it was the mock 1 at that stage. And then upgraded to a 7D camera, and yeah, I mean, I think the beginning of my photography days was was like most birders, you know, you're taking record shots and you're trying to get closer and get better portraits, and you know, really what you're looking for is is sharp, you know, bird in you know, bird in your face photos, you know, sharp close up portraits. And I don't know what it was that sort of led me down to what my style is now or what I've become today, but I think obviously that birding side of things has has really influenced that you know uh, the way I look at birds you know through the eyes of a birder and yeah I think I just stumbled onto guess the creative side of of bird photography and I didn't think I had a creative bone in my body Um, you know being in business and you know I I can't dance and I'm musically uh, illiterate so it, it was quite fascinating to sort of take photos that you know, I am, um, yeah, I just thought we're different and I liked, and I think then, you know, this is quite some years ago, you know, um, I don't think birds in the environment or habitat shots, they definitely weren't mainstream and there weren't really people in Africa that were, you know, making it their focus. So, you know, I soon learned after that, that, you know, in Europe and, and, and North America, there's definitely a lot more, I, th- I think they're ahead of us in terms of just creativity and where they are in terms of you know how they've developed bird photography in in those zones but yeah i I think when i first took those photos i didn't really know how people were going to react and i guess it just took the bold step of finding out i was a bit nervous i was worried that my bubble was going to be burst but yeah i think i got just positive feedback from from publishing my first sort of habitat shots and that really was encouraging. I mean, it's quite hard to not get positive feedback on social media. I think you, I think people are really nice. I think it was a good place to land and have people encourage me, and that really got me excited about learning more about composition and and lights and the different aspects of photography. And, and I'm kind of, I guess, in many ways just learnt as I've gone along at it. And I guess I'm curious by nature, so I've, I've you know, I've looked at from street photographers to landscape photographers. And I just learned different things from, you know, different people. Uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, yeah, there's definitely been some photographers that have inspired me and, and I've taken so much from, from reading and, and looking at other people's work. And, and that's, I think I've just created what I love. And that's probably where I'll stay. You know, I'm, I'm not really into to abstract photography and, And motion blur and it's not that I don't enjoy that it's just not really what I love and so as much as what I love is is morphing into different things and is definitely growing and developing uh, I'll probably always stay around that that desire to produce images that I guess tell a story that that bring out the bird's personality and their habitat and and hopefully share some of the emotion that I felt when, when photographing them with, you know, those that get to watch it get to see the photographs and, and they are also taken to the times where they saw that bird and it brings back good memories for them. And I think that's probably always going to be at the heart of, of my photography, Adam is, is to use those moments to, to hopefully drive awareness. And I think I, I've become more passionate about seeing how I can use my photography now to drive conservation and, and, and help, yeah, you know, help others do that.
0: So, Richard, you've already touched on it a bit, but one of the styles that has, has many ways defined your style, and I think it's the thing that you are known and known as is your the habitat shot. Explain the shot for those who have maybe never seen this your page, and how can listeners get better at taking these kinds of shots?
1: Um, sure, Adam. I, I think there's different definitions of, of habitat shots, or what's probably globally known as birds in the environment images. I think there's the wide angle, you know, where you use a wide angle lens and, and the bird is a very small part of the image. And I think those are amazing. I probably tend to take what I've defined a little differently is more small in the frame bird photographs where the bird is still the main focus. And I kind of look at my photographs, it's probably where the bird takes up a maximum of sort of a sixth of the image to like a 16th. Uh, is probably the realm within which I play in what I call habitat shots. I probably stretched the de- definition a bit because they definitely need to be images that tell a story about the bird's habitat. And and I've kind of changed it a bit to say that it either alludes to the habitat because I find some shots, although they don't necessarily show all of the habitat, if you know the bird, uh, even if the background's a bit blurry, you know, sometimes that image just really tells me what I think people need to know about where that bit is found. Yeah, I, I think in terms of taking them, I, I think I've realized, you know, over almost twelve years now, Adam, I only have about sixty habitat shots in my portfolio that like I love, you know. So I think that gives you a sense of they're really for me difficult to take ones that are at least that I love. And so there's quite a lot of thought and um consideration when it goes into Picking habitat shots for, for yourself. And I think, you know, a lot of that's got to do with, I guess, the basic tenets of composition. You know, where does your eye fall on the image? If it's not the bird and there's a number of distractions within the environment, then maybe that's not a, a good habitat shot. I think just understanding the, the basic concepts around composition, you know, leading lines and framing, you know, really helps you identify whether you've got something really special or not. And then I think as I've sort of developed, you know, there's a lot of different compositional techniques that you can try. And then I think I've overlaid that with sort of more technical type photographs, whether it's using backlighting or low key or high key and experimenting with those types of techniques, you know, with a habitat shot. And yeah, I think if you've got those basics in place, you know, you've obviously got to focus on your background you've got to focus on the color schemes in the photo but once you've got those basics in place then I just really encourage people to choose those images that they love because I think if you don't do that you kind of end up probably being the same as everyone else and I think part of creativity is being willing to just follow your own gut and your own you know just the image love and hope that there's something in there that other people will Will enjoy as well and aspire towards. Yeah, so that's probably a good uh, good start to the answer, answer of that question. I, I think just Adam for anyone that's interested, you know, they're welcome to just go into my website. You can read a lot of the newsletters I, I put out. I started them in lockdown. <laughs> I think because I wasn't allowed to garden, birds. So I, I enjoyed writing. Uh, I find it quite therapeutic, so I did that to kind of get rid of the the lockdown doldrums. Uh, and so I've shared quite a bit of. Yeah, I love sharing. Uh, I, I don't hold secrets to myself uh, around my photography. So there's probably, I think, 12 issues there that give you a good sense of what I look for in habitat shots and just other aspects of photography. So, yeah, you know, uh, if anyone's interested, they're welcome to go there and we'll get probably a, a more comprehensive view on, on what makes a great habitat shot or at least, you know, what I think does.
0: So Richard, talk us through your equipment setup. I know you chatted a little bit earlier on when we chatted about your, pho- your, your photographic journey. You, you touched on the equipment, but talk us through your equipment setup and more specifically why you have chosen to use the equipment that you have.
1: I shoot with Canon because uh, my wife shot with Canon <laughs> and uh, I just got used to, uh, yeah, I guess the user interface and no, I guess Canon's a bit of an extension of my, my arm now. I'm just so used to shooting with it. It's a second nature to change the settings without having to really look at them. Yeah, and I've just got really used to the setups on those cameras. So, so I've stuck with Canon for those reasons. I had a, a few doubts when uh, the D850 came out, and I think Nikon took a jump up in terms of just ISO performance uh, and the, the megapixels in that camera. But uh, I just hung on. <laughs> I think I saw um, with Sony sort of challenging in the mirrorless space, I, I, I just backed Canon to come out with something equally impressive. And I'm glad I did. You know, I've I, I always had Canon lenses. So I didn't really feel like selling everything and starting again. And so when they brought out the Canon R5, I thought it was a good time to jump into mirrorless. I mean, I got some great reviews, but, you know, not necessarily reviews that helped me determine whether it was going to be good for, for my type of photography, but it was at least worth, worth trying and, and seeing if I could, could get that camera to do what I, I hoped it could do. And yeah, you I'm know, really grateful I did that. I think I think mirrorless is a a massive step up from DSLR. Yeah, just it's going to really change the game, Adam. So I think if anyone can afford to jump into mirrorless, I, I really whatever brand they use, I, I really would encourage them to do so. I think it you know uh, especially on the Canon R5 with its animal eye identification and you know, its focusing system, it it makes flight photography just so much easier than it was. And it, and it also because it locks on the animal's eye, it, it allows for easier com- composition. You know, a lot of the time with DSLRs, you battle to get the composition because you don't have that locking on the eye. And so I found, you know, this, the the new R5 just really helps. You you can lock on the eye, and you can move the camera around to get exactly the composition that you want. So I think there's some really really real positives there, Adam. And, and I've, it's really become my my main camera. I still have the the what's it, the 5D Mach 4. So I've still got that as a backup camera and it, and it still has its purposes. I think there's some drawbacks of, of the R5. I find it sometimes battles with the thick stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very much become my primary camera and I think there's more benefits than cons. And then I use a, a very fortunate to be able to have a, a 600 millimeter lens, uh, F4, it's the latest Mach 3, And I found that a real magical combination. I was a little worried that the 600, you know, I used to use a 400 F2.8. And I was a little worried that the 600 was going to mean that I was too close to the bird. So I couldn't get the habitat shots that I love and really focus on. But yeah, I, I found the opposite. I think what the R5 and the 600 do for me is they allow me to actually stay further away. So, which means, you know, there's less chance of the bird seeing me. And uh, you know you, you then they're more relaxed, and you've got the opportunity to get the right composition from from a distance. And I think you know, 45 megapixels and the sort of image quality of that 600, it, it really is at the moment the perfect combination for me. And just you know, I feel really blessed to be able to shoot with it. And yeah, that that's that's the reasons. I think it's got the reach and it's got the megapixels, and I must say the ISO performance on on the R5 has been has been absolutely brilliant. I think you know those half-coloured kingfishers. I don't think I, I shared the settings, but you know they're taking at ISO six thousand four hundred, um, which you know in previous camera bodies would, would cause quite a bit of noise. While with this camera, there really isn't any noise. They they it just produces really pin sharp images. Yeah, at much higher ISOs than I was able to do, which which yeah I guess broadens the opportunities. You know that those kingfishers are in a very sort of dark stream, uh, shaded stream. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just really allowed me to take images that were probably out of reach with my previous setup.
0: Now, that's what I was, was going to say. I, the R5 seems to have fantastic low-light photography performance.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely, a, it's a game changer in many ways, Adam. Uh, um, yeah, from an ISO, from from a flight perspective, and and also just from a creativity perspective, I, I've been able to get shots that, you yeah, know, I think were much more difficult to take uh, without that camera. So. I think whether it's the R6 or the R5, I, I, yeah, I really encourage people to at least experiment with them and make sure that they, you know, I think no one likes change, right? <laughs> so you always delay it until you have to. But I, I think mirrorless is the future. And I think the earlier you jump on the bandwagon and start just learning how to adapt your photography to using those type of cameras, the better.
0: So, Richard, has a very really practical question. What does the planning process and execution look like when you're going somewhere to do bird photography?
1: So, if you're talking about sort of the, the planned uh, project side of things, Adam, as opposed to the opportunistic, I would, you know, I do a lot of just recon just to find out where certain species are. For example, these half-collar kingfishers. I mean, I spent six months looking for them. <laughs> I found what I thought was a river and stream where they should be just based on the habitat. And I just kept at it till eventually I, I heard one <laughs> and saw one. Uh, so yeah, I think the first is when it comes to planning a project is finding the right, the right location. Uh, once you've got the right location, you know you kind of look for places. Yeah, you've got to kind of understand the behavior of the bird and, and where you think the bird is going to perch and sort of anticipate what is its favorite haunts. You know where does it hang out? And then once I've sort of established that, then you know you try and visualize, I guess, the shot you want to take. So, I mean, a good example of that was those, um, we've got some southern red bishops that breed in a reed bed quite close to to my house. And I spent some time just watching them and observing them and seeing the impact that, you know, I wanted to do some backlight stuff. And so I found the right location. The reed bed was situated with, you know, the, the sun as it was going down was directly behind the reed bed. I found a place where I could stand The birds were there and then, you know, kind of look what light creates the best mood. And I love the fact that their little red heads glow with backlighting. So I thought they were a cool subject. And then, you know, found the right time of day and then it was just persistence. You know, you just keep on going back to the same spot. You kind of learn a lot about the birds. You kind of work out where to stand, where it's likely to call from or display from. And, yeah, eventually um, persistence beats resistance, right? And you eventually get the shot that you you had hoped for. Um, so that's kind of the, the approach to projects uh, um, where you really have a specific goal in mind. And then, yeah, on the opportunistic side, when I'm just going out birding and I'm looking for whatever, uh, I, you know, I normally have a few birds that I, I'd, I hope I get to see. But, yeah, whatever pops into my viewfinder, I kind of look, I think at the same elements, you know, I look at just where the habitat that it's in, uh, where it could land, whether there's the the opportunity for, you know, or the possibility of getting a good shot. And then if I think that that those kind of conditions are there, I'll I'll, I'll stick around and and try and anticipate what it's going to do and try and position myself, be it by vehicle or whether I'm on foot. Uh, I'll try and get into position to see if I I can get a shot that, you know, is a real keeper and something that, is a great reminder of the day out. And, and that's, yeah, that's probably the probably my approach. In.
0: So you're on site now, a bird lands exactly where we want it to land and you look through the viewfinder. What are you looking to capture when you look through the viewfinder? Because, you know, again, we spoke about this before, we'll talk about the post-processing just now, the fact that, you know, when you take the photos on the field, you, you, you're you taking photos with your the whole process in mind. So what are you looking looking for when you look through that viewfinder at the bird? What are you looking to capture?
1: I think quite, uh, you know, we covered a bit of this in, in my response to habitat shots and what I look for. I don't think it's any different, Adam. I, I think, you know, the first things is just background. What's the background going to look, look like? Um, I think if you've got distracting things in your background that take the focus off the bird, you know, you're probably going to struggle to get a great compositional image. So I think that's probably key. And then I look at the overall composition and and I just go, you know, does it work? You know, does it work from leading lines? Does it work from, is the bird framed? Does it stand out? Does it pop? You know, those are the immediate things that go through my head, uh, Adam. And then I think if the bird sticks around, which they often don't, you know, then I'll look to, and and obviously light is a key thing, you know, um, whether I'm using backlighting or or front lighting, is, is the light good enough? But, you know, once you've got those basic things in place, if, if the bird's willing to stay around, then, then I probably start and I've got the, sh- the basic shots that, I, that, that, you know, that I can take. Then I start looking to experiment and seeing if I can do it from a different angle or unique angle or change the lighting or, you know, will side lighting look better? And I'll move around the bird to see whether I, c- I can improve on things. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the basic. Yeah, that's the start of, I guess, the, the process for me when I'm, I'm through the viewfinder. And I think that that has to happen pretty quickly. <laughs> so I think you get better at it, kind of establishing whether you've got a good shot in the viewfinder or not. And I think I'm much more selective now than I used to be. Um, you know, I used to just bang away and fill a memory card. And I'm probably getting better at anticipating whether it's worth filling a m- memory card or not. Uh, and I think that just comes with with time. I mean, if if anything, you know, it's just to encourage people that you know I was I was absolutely shocking when I started. I. I <laughs> I mean, I laugh at the photos that I used to take. I mean, in a good way. I mean, it, it is a bit embarrassing, but not really. You know, it's just funny. And I, I think it's yeah, it's just a journey. And I, it's funny. I was speaking to I was on another podcast the other day, and I, I think we all have different journeys. And, and I think some people get there quicker, and some people just take a few side roads, you know. But I think I think everyone's got the ability to kind of take great photographs. It's just yeah, you know, it's keeping at it, and it's persevering, and it's kind of being determined to find your own style and you know, the stuff that you love. And so yeah, I think just to encourage everyone, it's yeah, it's just a journey. So so enjoy it. I think you'll I think you'll all end at the same point at some point.
0: And then probably the less attractive side of bird photography is you get home at the end of the day and you have a memory card full of images, some days more than others. So you get home, you sit in front of your, your computer. Let's, how, how do you go around sorting your photos and what does your storage system look like for your photography?
1: I, I sometimes on the camera, you know, I just delete the photos that are terrible. You know, if, if I've just no, I've taken some really bad ones. Uh, supposedly that's not great for your memory card, but it just, you know, I think, especially the R5, it's, it's quite a heavy <laughs> on the on the memory. So I probably do have a little bit of field editing, you know, just delete some of the images I don't want. Uh, and then, you know, I download them all onto to my laptop. Obviously, uh, I use Photoshop, but before getting into Photoshop, I, I just go through all the images and pick out the ones that I, that I like that I think have, have worthwhile potential. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll save those on a hard drive and then the ones that I think have real potential after I've edited them, uh, I'll, I'll save uh, online, just so I've got a hard copy and, a, and an online copy.
0: So now you've you've sorted through the photos, you've you've put them in the right place and that type of thing. How does the editing process look like for you?
1: So, yeah, I, I think <laughs> this might be be not what people want to hear, but I, I don't really spend a lot of time editing Adam. Uh, I, I think that's just because I prefer being in the field. And, and so I think... I feel if you don't have at least a decent image to start with, that post-processing is not going to help you turn it into a great image. So I think there's two types of post-processing. If I'm looking to create an authentic image, you know, I do very little. Uh, I I published what I do do online. I I do basic things in Photoshop from, you know, look at the curve, look at levels a little bit, uh, look at saturation. And I'll, I'll tweak the image to... You know, you obviously want to present the best of that image, but I'll tweak it to what I think is an authentic representation of the scene that I had in front of me. So that often, you know, it does mean upping often the vibrancy or the saturation, uh, just changing, making it a little bit darker, or lighter, depending on what I felt I saw or what I felt really brings out the bird. And then, yeah, but I do very little. And then, you know, I basically size it and sharpen it for web. Uh, again, if people are interested, uh, it's really on my website. You can see my basic flow, uh, but I, I'm not one for for doing layering and 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 all sorts. I just yeah, maybe that's something I, I'll <laughs> when I, when I retire and I have a lot more time on my hands that I, I'll re-edit my images. But uh, yeah, I spend little time doing doing that. Uh, and then I guess there's creative images where you are you know, you purposefully manipulating the image more than you would if you were representing an authentic image. So most of the images, are, yeah, they're very, I, I, there's hardly any pro- processing that goes into them. And if I've done anything weird, if I if I have removed a very small branch at the top right-hand corner just because I think it's an irritant, you know, I, I'll say it on my photo. I, I like people to, you know, know what I've done and feel that they're seeing an authentic image. I think it's becoming more important to do that, Adam, as you see sort of, um, artificial intelligence is starting to change the way people edit photographs. I mean, you can basically make blurred bird sharp, and you can, you know, there's a program called the noise where you can take out all the noise in your image. And, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, just, I just want to be authentic. So I, I kind of like showing people images with little post-processing. And if I've done anything that I think, you know, might have changed the authenticity of the image, you know, I, I pretty much just have a, I mean, you've probably seen on my images. I have, thing where I say edited and I tell people what I've done Uh, and then I think if I am going to manipulate an image and I don't do it often I think I do it for low-key images you know high-key images and then when I'm really uh, you know entering a competition and looking to do creative imagery you know then I then I will do some some stuff around the background where you know you're black in the background or your the background's got a tinge of blue and I'll white in the background to create a real impact but then you know I'm, I'm quite Forthright with that in terms of what I've done and why I've done it, and I think there's a place for that. You know, it's 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 art and it's it's creative, but it's probably a different genre. Uh, and uh, yeah, I encourage people to do the same because I think you want to look at an image and you want to know if it's authentic or whether people have used artificial intelligence to make up for their own you know areas in camera or you know whether they have manipulated it to create a creative image. I think I think it would be good for for photographers as a whole if we were just quite open about that I, I don't you know i don't see the need, reason to hide stuff so yeah, that's kind of my, uh, my approach around these things
0: and then just a quick question i looked on your just going through right now as we are speaking on your um instagram you've got like you've got different almost crop ratios i don't know if it's the right terminology we uh, are sizing for your instagram which like you know give a nice you know fill up it fills up the screen quite nicely you know what you know what kind of cropping do you use on the photos to you know to optimize them for social media because it it, it does make a difference when you look at the photo and it kind of almost fills the screen and I think it's an, it, for people are who are shooting they want to post images maybe just cropping the photos with the right ratios would be makes a difference
1: yes I think you know I'm I'm just bad when I'm not the biggest fan of Instagram because you know I think it's all about bold colors and you know filling the screen and that's not really my style so I think the images I love that that don't really fit the Instagram brief, but I mean, you do stuff to obviously make the best of a medium. And so, you know, when I look at Instagram, yeah, I still publish my habitat shots, but I think the the images that are going to get you, the reactions are, are probably your more bold in your face images. And yeah, I just, I, you know, Instagram allows you to play with the ratios. And so I just, you know, take an image that, you know, kept the same ratios as I, you know, as per the camera, and then, you know, I'll just change them to what I think looks good. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, you know, Facebook, I'm, I'm much more, you know, I, I literally just keep it to, you know, the camera ratios. Uh, or, um, you know, I guess ratios is the right word. And, yeah, I, I think from that perspective, I mean, to get a really great image, you know, that you can print, you kind of need to get over 4,000 pixels in the longest edge. And so, you know, the majority of the, my habitat shots are all all in that 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 region uh, and then yeah i mean i crop a bit closer for portraits sometimes but you know i think you want to try and maintain getting your photos at least over that 3500 mark uh you know and and ideally higher you know to 5000 6000 if you want something that's going to be printable but yeah from an instagram perspective i probably go in closer you know if you printed those images they probably wouldn't be as as wonderful as the original crop uh cuz they're a bit more close in and that's just making my images suit a particular medium
0: I think it's interesting, you know, just, you know, as you're talking, going through it, and I think this is just an encouragement for other photographers, you know, the, probably the photos that you love more, your habitat shots, if you actually look on Instagram, they probably get less likes, all that's, although that's what you like the most. It's the ones that are almost cropped for Instagram. That's the ones that, you know, people gravitate towards and like, and it's interesting that, you know, that's, and I think when you, when you're posting an Instagram, I think even on social media, it's not allowing that to define who you are as a photographer. It's doing what you love doing. I think that, that's what's most important.
1: Yeah, and just realizing that it's okay to get smaller likes <laughs> for for those type of images. It's it's yeah, you know, it really doesn't define me as a photographer. Like um yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think I always look at it like this. And if you blew the photo up, you know, and you you wanted to hang it on your wall, which one would you love and would grow over you time? You know, th- that's kind of the stuff that that really every time you look at it just reminds you of that time and and sort of gets that emotional reaction. I mean, th- those for me, are the great photographs, right? While uh, in-your-face portraits, it's unlikely that's, that's going to grow in you over time, right? It's a great image and, and I love portraits, but it's it's a lot less interesting uh, and there's a lot less to it. And so, yeah, I really, I wouldn't get uh, caught up in what Instagram is impressive. I mean, to be honest, just go with a really bright red bird and you're likely to do better the more creative shots. And so I, th- I think you need to really, and that's why I say, I think you really need to trust your gut and go with the stuff that you love if you want to make a name for yourself as a photographer.
0: So Richard, last thing around the photography side is you sell high quality prints online and we'll pop the link into your website um, in the comment section of this of of this episode, but when I've done printing, I've always struggled to translate the feel of what I see on the screens, capturing the colours and all that kind of thing. I find when I print it, it just doesn't come out how I thought it would come out. How do you how do you get this right between editing on a screen to it finally getting printed, where somebody's going to put on their wall, it's going to be a high quality image that you're proud of. How do you get that that right?
1: Yeah, obviously my editing has um, improved over time, Adam, uh, and just getting a sense of what I see on my screen, what, what it's going to translate to in print. But I, I mean, I think it's also just about finding, you know, there's experts in this that are, you get really great printers <laughs> that, you know, it's probably worth paying that extra little bit of money for them to just make sure that your editing is going to give the result that you want. So, so I've got a, a, a really good printer uh, out of Johannesburg called Andre. And, you know, I trust him to just vet my work and make sure that it's, is going to appear the way that I hoped it would. And also just to give um, his opinion around size, you know, because some images, you know, you just can't blow up to sort of A1 or, you know, you've just got to print a little bit smaller uh, given that, you know, there might only be 4,000 uh, pixels and, you know, you, you're just not going to retain the quality. So I, I do think to lean on an expert is a, is a good idea if, if you, you know, you want to kind of get a standard of quality out there. So that's probably my best advice in that regard. I, I don't really do anything um, special. I, I guess, you know, in the last sort of three years, measuring, you know, entering competitions and measuring myself against sort of the top photographers in the world. You, yeah, you, you've got to get sort of better at your editing. Uh, and so that's pushed me to just get my presentation right. And that obviously helps with the, the print side of things. But yeah, I think finding a good, good printer that, that's an expert and knows how screens translate into the final product is, is really helpful.
0: And then just a couple of quick questions to finish off. These were questions that came online. Birds of Southern Africa asked the following question on Instagram. How the hell do you manage to get so close to the birds?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, mean I think equipment's one thing. So, um, you know, I'm not shooting with a wide-angle lens. So it does make it easier when you have a 600 lens. I think that's one thing, is just the lens you shoot with. I do have, you know, many approaches. I have a portable hide. I even have a Yeti suit, although I don't only bring that out on special occasions, because I think if someone sees me that uh, walking around my state, they, they might call the security. And so I, th- I think just how you blend into the environment is obviously going to make a difference. So things like hides really help. You know, there's nothing broken with a bit of leopard crawling. <laughs> so I kind of see, you know, you've only got so many years of leopard crawling in your life. So I'm trying to take advantage of, of, uh, of that. Um, so I, th- yeah, I think stealth is obviously an important part of it. But I think it's also persistence, you know. I think again, and you know, the amount of birds that fly away from me is a lot more than the ones that stay, right? <laughs> so there's no, there's just a lot of persistence, and it's amazing. Like I find, just the more time you spend in the field, the more times you approach a certain bird, uh, you eventually get one that just plays ball. There, eh? I, I don't know what, you know, whether they've just got different personalities, and the one decides, you know, it's going to give you the show of your life, but. You know, it's from Marina Trogans. I've met some that are unbelievably shy, you know, and kinda of like they leave you with a hundred meters <laughs> to go. And then I've had Marina Trogans, which was literally I've my arms got so tired from taking photographs. I've I've had to walk away from them. So yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things. I don't think there's a yeah, I don't think there's a particular seat.
0: I think it's kinda of like what Gary Player said, That uh, that 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 quote that is always used, the more you the more you practice, the luckier you get, and I think the more you get out and take photos, the the more likely you are to get those those moments where you can have a trogon sitting in front of you for so long that your arms going to get sore. I think it's just getting out as often as you can.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and I think that's what you know. It's it's a bit like with habitat shots. Um, you can't just rock up at Rietvlei and get habitat shots. I mean, you can get something that you could call a habitat shot, but it's not gonna, you know, it's not going to be a fine art print or it's not going to win a competition or it's. So, you know, and I think people underestimate what it takes to get those shots. I I think that's the big problem is that, that, you know, every, I think there's a book that talked about, you know, 10,000 hours, uh, you know, to become good at something or become an expert at something. And I don't think, you know, there's no reason bird photography or photography is any different. I, I think you have to put in the hours. And it's not just that the hours give you the opportunity, the hours also get you to almost instinctively know what to do. Uh, so when you're in a situation and there is backlighting or there is a tra- chance for a low-key shot or, or there's a chance to compose a bird in the right way, you know you need to suddenly you know, fall down on the ground or stand up or reposition yourself. You know the settings that you need to use to get the shot and it all comes together quite quickly and there's no, yeah, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's no replacement uh, for time in the field and, and, and putting the hours in.
0: So this question will probably be a bit of a culmination of everything you've already said. So I'm going to ask you, you can answer this in quite a short way, but the essay birder, Yandre Feste, is one of your your big fans. He asked this question, what's the best advice that you can give a photographer?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I probably have mentioned that already. Yeah, I, I think it's it's love what you do. It's probably, you know, the first part of it is fall in love with your subjects. Yeah, the other is be, be curious and, and, and keep learning different techniques and different compositions and and yeah, just pushing yourself to be more creative in your photography. I mean, I think it's a journey. So I really encourage people to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably there's no there's no one bit of advice that I think I could give anyone, but I think birding is such a beautiful hobby, you know, and it's it's meant to be such a peaceful hobby. And so, you know, I would really encourage people not to turn it into a competition and something that stresses them out, you know, because that kind of, for me, defeats the purpose. So if you can go out there and, and love what you do and, and love your subjects and just, you know, hope to take photos that, that show them off and, and encourage people to conserve their environments, you know, I, I think that's what it's about. And so, you know, don't lose that because that's probably what gets you those great shots or those great moments.
0: Richard, it's been awesome chatting to you and I really appreciate you giving up your time. Just Lastly, if somebody wants to order prints or get in touch with you, how would they go around that?
1: The best is just to jump on, on my website which is www.theflax.co.za. Uh, from there you, you you know you put a slash shop you'll, you'll go to the print section but that's kind of the home page and you can go to newsletters you can go to the it's called prints and digital. Uh, and there you'll find a selection of, I guess, my portfolio of, of fine art shots, which are limited edition prints. And, and then um, there's also stock photos there that, uh, you know, just for magazines and books and stuff. I, I haven't spent enough time doing the stock side, but my, my, um, yeah, my signature print uh, portfolio is pretty up to date. So, yeah, yeah, just jump onto the website. And, and my uh, wonderful wife, Eileen, has, helps oversee the, the ordering. Yeah, and it's probably best to get in touch, uh, you know, choose the image send through an email we, we don't ask for payment up front she'll just chat to the person and make sure that they're getting what they want and, and then yeah that's probably the best way to do
0: oh thanks Richard. i really appreciate your time it's been so awesome chatting to you and looking forward to doing some webinars with you and get getting a little bit more advice from you so i appreciate it thanks so much and looking forward to also in the near future if you do some birding with you
1: yeah that'd be fantastic adam um yeah thanks again for for a wonderful opportunity i hope uh uh, I um, got you what you wanted on the show, and and yeah, it would be an absolute privilege to do it again. And yeah, I'd love to see you in the field. So yeah, thanks so much, Adam. Much appreciated.
0: We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding enough project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out BirdLasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a lifeless while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.